Hello, magic makers, and welcome back to another episode of the Metaphysical Apothecary Podcast. Megan and I are going to be talking about a very near and dear topic to both of us, and that is queering the craft. Yes. So the pagan and magical community has long been a safe space for people in the queer community to practice spirituality that feels right to us. And I say us because anyone who's been listening to this for any amount of time knows that I am too gay to function. So in the craft, however, there can be some really unnecessary and very uncomfortable gatekeeping in terms of how magic is practiced. And most often that happens through the duality that is present in a lot of pagan practices between male and female and having particular roles that male and female fill. So Shannon and I are going to be exploring the ways in which these energies can be combined, the ways in which we interpret them in our own practices, and just some examples of how these energies are viewed outside of the lens of gender. Where I fall on the LGBTQ plus spectrum is something I'm very sensitive about. Not because I don't want to be there, but because I don't want to be told that I don't belong there. Megan knows that I'm very sensitive about this. I don't touch on it too much. I will identify as an ally faster than I will identify as being on the spectrum. But I do know I fall on the spectrum because of some of my orientations. I am cis woman, heterosexual, sapiosexual, demiromantic, and bisensual. Bisensual is not very well known. Most people don't understand what sensual is, but that is all of your senses, how you prefer those to be engaged, and with whom. If you are someone who I care about, I need to feel your touch. I need to know that you care about me. I need you to stimulate my sensual nature, my sensual orientation by sensual. It's kind of the cuddle factor, the vulnerability with other people. Mm -hmm. It is definitely the cuddle factor, and I do not care who I'm cuddling with as long as I love you. Mm -hmm. Another term that has been having a lot of problems is sapiosexual. Unfortunately, in current times, sapiosexual has been adopted by the wrong group of people who think that it means you like smart people. And that's not necessarily untrue, but the way that they're expressing sapiosexual is not the original meaning behind sapiosexual. Sapiosexual is a term that came into existence during the 1990s in live journal times with a queer live journal user, Wolfie Boy. And it was originally meant as a queer term to say that you have a preference to intellectual stimulation over physical stimulation when you're choosing your partner. And intellectual did not just mean you were smart or had a high IQ or you went to grad school or anything like that. Intellectual stimulation was meant you had a openness to learn, to be curious, and to have a conversation about the things that you were interested in and passionate about. So Mm -hmm. if you had an interest in mushrooms and you could have an intelligent, deep conversation about mushrooms, a sapiosexual person would usually be able to sit down with you and become stimulated, romantic, is what kind of relationship you want to be in mostly. I am a person who does not get into romantic relationships unless you're already a friend. So demi-romantic or aromantic or semi-romantic or homo-romantic is the orientation of who you prefer to get involved in a romantic relationship with. As a demi-romantic, I 
don't get romantic feelings from people unless you are ready within my circle. I'm not going to fall into a romantic love at first sight situation with a perfect stranger. I might admire their physical attributes and then walk away. <laughs> Or I might admire their open-mindedness and have a sit-down conversation with them. I might even get involved in a sexual relationship with them. But I'm unlikely to engage in a romantic relationship with them unless they've already entered into my circle of friends. Romance, to me, is a orientation of commitment and trust, and I can't do that with strangers. Like I said, I'm very sensitive about where I fall on the spectrum, even though I know I fall in the spectrum. Right. I understand that completely because I have a lot of trouble feeling valid as a person who's non-binary because in general I present as cisgender and I use the pronouns that match my biology. So mm -hmm. I totally understand where you're coming from. To introduce my experience with the queer community, I am non-binary. I'm demi-femme, which means that my gender ebbs and flows. It doesn't necessarily change. I'm always feminine or female, but it intensifies or rolls back almost to a gender status. If you think about a light being on a dimmer switch, and it's a green light. Sometimes that green light's super bright, it's real saturated, but other times you push the dimmer switch down, there's less color to to it and it's a little grayer and it's a lot dimmer. That's how my gender ebbs and flows. So that's why I identify as a member of the non-binary community. I'm pansexual, but I'm also homoromantic. So that means that my sexual attraction, I'm good. If you are aesthetically pleasing to me, I'm probably going to be able to have a sexual relationship with that person. But in terms of romance, the only times that I've been able to develop a romance with another person have been when that person is either female or exudes feminine energy. I've actually never been in a relationship with another non binary person, but I've met non-binary people that I could definitely feel that vulnerability with. And that's to sort of add to what Shannon was saying about romantic orientation. It's a level of intimacy and romance and vulnerability that you can achieve with another person. For me, most of the time that's going to be with another woman and it will be for the rest of my life because I'm married to another woman. So... <laughs> I am also sapiosexual. That's not the only way that I express my sexuality, but I definitely need to be able to have intellectual discourse with another person to be attracted to them. There needs to be some ability to engage on an intellectual level and then dive deep down into subjects. And Shannon, your example of discussing mushrooms on a very deep level, mm -hmm. that's happened. <laughs> My wife and I have done that. <laughs> Whereas for me, I never felt a sexual urge that wasn't stimulated from a sapiosexual, intellectual, deep conversation with another person. Right. So that is my sexual expression is through sapiosexuality. I just happen to be heterosexual as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm demi heterosexual because it's happened with women too and non-binary individuals. And that's an excellent demonstration of how sexuality and gender expression and romantic expression, they're all fluid. It's a big old spectrum. Yes.
which is the problem with the way that energies in the magical community are so often divided. You can land on pretty much any blog about witchcraft or read pretty much any book about magic and witchcraft, and somewhere in there, it's going to be divided into God and Goddess energy. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. However, it leaves very little room to combine those energies. The implication is usually that to achieve balance, you need 50-50 god and goddess energy. And the inference that a lot of these resources make as well is that the people reading them are all cisgender and usually heterosexual, unless the person writing them is part of the queer community. We're going to take a little dive into how we can combine the duality in different ratios to result in a spectrum of energies that we can connect to as members of the queer community on the same level. So traditionally in the duality of God and goddess, you've got the goddess who is associated with the moon, beauty, fertility, healing, things to do with childbirth and child rearing, the stages of life energies that women go through, water, earth, night, darkness. And then you've got the god energy, which is sun, strength, virility, guardian and stewardship, the youth warriors, sage stages of life, fire, air, day, and light. When you're thinking about God and goddess energy, typically the thought process, just because of the way we've been socialized, automatically goes to cisgender women exude goddess energy, cisgender men exude god energy, and there's not a ton of wiggle room in that way of defining those energies for anybody else. Mm -hmm. When in reality, you can have men, <laughs> cisgender straight men, who exude this beautiful goddess energy. They're caretakers. They have a maternal way of interacting with the world. Mm -hmm. The opposite can be true for cisgender women. You have a lot of women out there who are sun warriors, who are those guardians, are those stewards. They have a lot of fire energy. I have a friend of mine. She's a cisgender woman, and she is fiery, passionate, and exudes that guardian warrior energy more than I felt from most of the men I've known in my life. So when we think about people's nature and what their spirit wants, rather than what they look like, we can start to see where the crossover happens. Mm -hmm. And a, a pop culture reference to a straight man who also exudes and thrives in life by expressing goddess energy is Newt Scamander. Yep. When you break Newt Scamander down to just Newt Scamander, he's this man, heterosexual as far as we can tell, and he's Alpha. He does take charge when charge needs to be taken. He takes the leadership when it needs to happen. He takes responsibility when it's necessary. He's not someone who waits on the sidelines, really. He's living his life and help those he cares about to also live their life. Much like an alpha wolf does in the wolf pack. The alpha wolf leads from the back, so that way if there's anything dangerous coming from behind, they're the ones who can deal with it. Mm -hmm. It's just that he's also very caring, compassionate, and considerate. Mm -hmm. He's a nurturing, emotive force. He's a good example of tapping into goddess energy. So you can start to see how, in terms of god and goddess energy, it really is just 
energy. And the god and goddess labels were to help associate traditional themes with the two cisgender sexes with these energies. But anyone can exude either of these energies, both of these energies, and equal force at the same time, or a different ratio of the two, a lot of one and a little of the other. So one of the places that we definitely see a balance between the duality of energy in traditional spirituality is in the yin and the yang. And Shannon knows more about this than I do. So I'm going to let her take this piece. In the Eastern demographic, in the Asian culture, yin and yang is the duality that's prevalent. We have the yin and yang symbolism that is very popular and is understood around the world. A teardrop of black curled around a teardrop of white with their opposite colors in the middle of the teardrop, forming a circle. Yin is associated with the feminine aspect, darkness, night, receptive energies, and yang is associated with the masculine aspect, light, sun, projective energies, and we're associated with human genitalia. So one of the ways to remember which part of the yin and yang exemplified the receptive or projective energies, the darkness and the light, the feminine and the masculine aspects, was by using this mnemonic device. Yin was in, and yang hangs out. So one of the very old ways teaching and learning and following a master and becoming a master was if you happen to exude yin energy, you appear to be more feminine aspected than masculine aspected, you would seek a yang master who would teach you how to balance your yin and yang energy so you could become a master of yin and yang as well. And then once you graduated to mastering it, you would be the yin master and you would then pass on your knowledge of balancing everything out as a yin to a yang student. Mm -hmm. I'm simplifying this as best as I can because this is very complicated and very complex in nature as well as in theory. Right. So yin yang is an expression of the dualities that in the Western world was seen as god and goddess energy. Yin has all the same associations as goddess, yang has all the same associations as god, but you don't need to be cis female to be yin. You don't have to be cis man to be yang. You don't have to have that physical appearance to exude the energy that is from that side of the duality. Right. And we can kind of see through the very symbol of the yin and yang how those energies are present within one another. So they're curled around each other and you've got the burgeoning seed or bit of the opposite in each one. Mm -hmm. The concepts are not necessarily opposite because that implies that they are separate. They're complementary. Mm -hmm. They're not meant to be permanently or completely separated, but they can be combined in different ratios to achieve specific energetic goals. Yes. If you are yang, understand that you have yin inside of you somewhere and you should be trying to balance it out so you're expressing yourself the most authentically you can. Yep. And that balance might be 5% yin, it might be 95% yin. Right. Or it could be the other way around, or it could be 81% of one and the 19% of the other. One of the most beautiful things about these concepts, the god and goddess concept, the yin and yang concept, and there are others from all over the world being practiced today is that we have taken 
the idea and examined it. So today we have had the chance to engage with these concepts that have existed in different ways all over the world and sort of shed the association with biology and anatomy. Not that it's never associated with those things, but when you strip away that particular lens, you're left with these concepts that take on even more meaning and significance. Mm-hmm. For instance, we now have the concepts of projective versus receptive energy. So if you're not comfortable using gendered terms like God and goddess, you can say projective versus receptive, and mm-hmm. you can place that concept into your practice. When we talk about projective versus receptive, a lot of the associations are the same as the gender terms. So you've got projective, which is more associated with the god energy, and the receptive energy that's more associated with goddess. But when you remove the gender terminology from them, you can start to see more clearly, or at least I started to see more clearly, the characteristics of both within yourself and within your practice, within myself and within my practice. My symbolism for projective and receptive as two hands, the two human hands. And again, traditionally, the left hand is receptive and the right is projective, but it's not like that for everybody. No, my right hand is receptive and my left hand is projective. Whereas for me, it's more traditional. My left hand is receptive and my my right hand is projective. But for my wife, hers is the opposite. It's the same as Shannon's associations. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about projective energy, we're directing energy outward. We're adding energies to the cosmos and imposing our will on other energies. We're radiating heat. It's outward expression. So you're Mm -hmm. expressing outward your vitality, your intellectual prowess. It's the image that we project to the world and the cosmos at large. With receptive energy, you're directing your energy and your focus inward, accepting energies from outside of you to within you, accepting energy from the cosmos, from the earth or the elements. Some of the practices that include this are meditation, personal development, shadow work, psychic development, healing and rejuvenation and recovery. All of those have to do with receptive energy. And when you look at these concepts this way, it's easy to see how every person embodies both energies. It might not be perfectly balanced all the time. One might be dominant most of the time, but everyone has a mix of the two. Mm-hmm. Another way to look at this from a non-gendered perspective is electric versus magnetic energy. Electric is more associated with god energy. Magnetic is associated with goddess. So electric energy flows from a higher density to a lower. It's seeking outward, projecting, and provides powers to systems. Whereas magnetic is always drawing inner, pulling things together into a pattern to create harmony. We have to have both. In the cosmos, we have magnetic energy and we have electric energy, and we need them both for our solar system right down to our atoms not to fly apart. Once you combine the dual energies, the ratios create a spectrum of different new energies that you can call upon. So anyone who is interested in having these energies represented on your altar, who is either atheist or is a member of the queer community who is very uncomfortable with god and goddess representation, I understand that. I don't have that on my own altar. There's a number of different ways that you can represent these things 
on your altar or just in your home, having different little mini altars. For projective or electric energy, you can have an obelisk, an upright pyramid, conductive materials of some kind like copper. Take copper wire and fold it into a lightning bolt. You can have electric lighting that represents the electric or projective energy in your practice. Salt crystal lamps. I have one sitting right next to me right now. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> A good craft would be making wax hands. you dipping your hands into wax. We did that in undergrad. You dip your hands into wax. Whichever hand happens to be your projective hand, you can put on the projective side of your altar. And you can even make different gestures with your hands. So the projective hand could be pointing with one finger, with two fingers, and the receptive hand could be cupped. They also have hand statues for different things too. So you can maybe find a pair that suits your purposes for that as well. Mm -hmm. I have two hand candle holders. When I use them, the projective hand actually happens to look like thing from the Evans family and the candle holder part, the wrist is facing upwards with the fingers being used as little feet. The receptive hand is usually with the wrist down and the hand up. So the fingers are reaching to the sky as if receiving something. That's really cool. Where did you find those? Just in a regular shop? Yeah, it was a Halloween decoration that I found in Big Lots, I think it was. That's one Wonderful. Thrift stores or just regular stores are gold mines for this kind of stuff. Yeah, you just have to be open to the possibility of it. Right. Other ways that you can represent receptive or magnetic energy on your altar include bowls, inverted pyramids, cupped hands as we were talking about, actual magnets. I remember those miniature globes that had magnets inside of them. And then on the globe stand, there was a magnet inside of that too. And it would float inside the frame from the power of the magnets. Something like that could be really cool. A lotus stone. Mm -hmm. Anything that's representative of a flower. A compass. Original compasses were created with magnetic science. Mm -hmm. If you do work with elemental energies, you can work with the receptive and projective or electric and magnetic energies of both of those. You can combine them in really beautiful ways. There's something I've been wanting to do. I haven't done it yet. I have this concept in my mind of creating a vessel that has like a candle holder in the center and the vessel is clear, like a jar within a jar. Place a tea light inside the center jar and fill the rest up with water or even water and oil and just watch the light float through the liquid. Arrows are also good for projective energy representation. Usually projectile weapons in general are very good for projective uh -huh. energies, right? Arrows, spears, darts, uh -huh. and if you're going to represent the receptive energy, or shields would be good because they receive the projective energy and block it from harming you. Right. That's a good analogy for how the balancing of those energies works in your favor. Mm -hmm. So when we start to clear our craft and combine these energies and recognize that it's not two energies in a duality, it's many energies in a spectrum. It starts to impact the way that deities interact with us or we interact with deities and other energies in some really interesting ways. At least it does for Shannon and I. So for me, particular deities represent particular things. Artemis is the steward of my heart chakra 
and she is the ultimate lesbian. She has come to me as the ultimate lesbian. In mythology, she's characterized as an unmarried virgin goddess who surrounds herself with other women and none of them engage in sexual activity. And for some people, that might really resonate. Somebody who is asexual, aromantic, or who is exploring demisexuality, she could definitely fill that role. For me, that does not resonate at all. <laughs> Artemis is the ultimate woman-loving woman who also embodies some very receptive energies because she's a moon goddess. She is steward of the earth. She's a steward of childbirth. However, she's got her own dose of projective energy in there because of the associations between her and the stag and bow and arrow. So she sits at the apex of my chakra system and she helps me balance those two energies within myself and teaches me how I can tap into both of those energies to express myself as a woman-loving woman, as someone who is non-binary but is always embodied of feminine energy, and somebody who may have some discomfort or shame surrounding those things because of the way that I've been socialized. Mm -hmm. Someone else who is very prominent in terms of balancing those two energies for me is Hades. Shannon and I actually interact with Hades very, very differently. So for me, Hades is genderqueer. He slash they come to me as gender fluid. He's either vaguely masculine or an even split between the two energies. He's nurturing, he's gentle, strong, but also vulnerable because his wife is such a... <laughs> such a badass in her own right. He's very okay with her to the limelight and tending his flowers and tending his deep, deep wells of knowledge, which is one of the things that he brings to me. So for me, Hades comes across as cis man and he exudes projective energy and protective energy. He's more of a guardian who is watching over the domain of his wife when she's out visiting her mother for half the year and making sure that usurpers don't come in and try to take over her territory. So he's very projective and electric for me when I'm interacting with him. He stands at the deepest, darkest parts of her realm, the places that she doesn't actually normally visit, and makes sure that those energies do not come out and interact with her realm or the realms of Earth. He's a guardian of our dimension, our plane of existence, and he guards against these deep, dark, and lower frequency dimensions that wouldn't interact well with our frequency and might disturb it in not necessarily beneficial ways. And it's interesting because the way that I interact with Hades, he still embodies that projective energy, but it's a much gentler projectivity. He's still that guardian figure. He's the guardian of all knowledge. He's the guardian of wealth and abundance and prosperity, and also somebody who holds the line. But it's a much, much more relaxed way of doing things. He's right. definitely more assertive. You're not going to see him back down from the challenge, whether he's doing it gently with you or assertively with me. One of my deity energies that are on my pantheon that I interact with and I have been interacting with for a very long period of time has been Loki. Now that Loki's started streaming on Disney+, Plus, there's been Easter eggs, which makes me very excited. Loki is finally being recognized 
used as gender fluid, is also orientated as being bisexual. I started interacting with Loki from a research perspective into Norse mythology, and Loki is very gender fluid in Norse mythology as a shapeshifter. He has sired children, and he has given birth to children. He can appear masculine, he can appear feminine, he can appear as a non-binary individual who's not giving you any particular clue to whether or not they have a gender. He thrives in that situation. As a god of magic, mischief, he loves being able to do what needs to get done in any way, shape, or form. So if he needs to be projective or receptive, he can shift and become whatever he needs to be. And I'm using the he pronoun because he mostly appears in a masculine form with me. Not exclusively, but mostly. Mm -hmm. And he has no problem interacting with anyone or anything in a sexual manner. If he's interested in you and you are a horse, well, he becomes a horse and makes his interest known. And he sits on my pantheon in a way that allows me to remember his fluidity, going from one energy to another, going projective to receptive, going from a masculine form to a feminine form to a non-binary form, an agender form, really does help me move and adapt and take up the energies that I need to take up in order to get projects done or to get certain workings out of my procrastination closet and onto a work table. Uh -huh. And he, he exemplifies that for me just because of who and what and how he does. Yeah. Uh, another deity that sits on my pantheon who is glorious <laughs> more ways than one is Apollo. And Apollo, cis man, leans more towards homosexual but could be pansexual, is probably more homo-romantic, actually, when, you, when I start thinking about it. The way I interact with him, he prefers uh, having sexual and romantic relationships with men. He's not exclusive to them, to the men, or to having relationships with men, but he prefers them. I go to him whenever I feel I need to be more supportive of my LGBTQ plus friends, where I feel like I need to be a better friend or a better ally, or how can I be more supportive? What ways or things or words can I provide that that will help support and give the people that I love what they need. Mm -hmm. Would you say Apollo is a good example of a typically homosexual oriented projective male energy? Yes. He's got some healing energy in there, whereas his twin sister, Artemis, for me, is very receptive, but also has... She's a hunter. Right. One energy that I'd like to talk about, and I don't know, a while back, we talk about her all the time, and I do want to plug that she's an amazing YouTube witch, and she has an amazing website and a Patreon account that please go explore. Molly Robert, in one of her videos, had talked about creating your own saint, patron saint to work with if you don't resonate with any of the saints and energies that already exist within known history and known culture. And I was actually explaining this to Megan's wife, who I was just excited about the concept and I was explaining it to her. And as I was explaining it to her, I had actually created what I thought was going to be an example. <laughs> and turns out is not something I created as an example, but became a very big part of my practice. And she is the patron saint of of Shannon, but not exclusive to me if anyone else it resonates with this, is Via Beldorma. And 
Her three-syllable name comes from different Mediterranean languages, Bia being force or strength or power, Belle being beautiful or beauty, and Dona being woman. And she is the patron saint of allowing my feet or your feet to lead you where you're supposed to go, including stopping. Beauty through the authentic expression of self, the strength and courage it takes to express that in our world. And daring to inspire and being audacious enough to inspire others by living your life in that way. She prefers the she pronoun. Her preferred physical appearances range from a glowing orb of golden light to a image of the Empress Theodora from the Byzantine Empire with an Adam's apple. And recently her most preferred form is Patrick Swayze's Vita Bohème in Two Wong Fu Thanks for Everything from Julie Newmar in the 1995 movie and without an Anna's apple. So these are all examples of how not only are witchcraft and paganism inclusive for the queer community, they are perfect for the queer community. That's not to say that's not to say that everyone who was part of the queer community has to be pagan, but if you're here, we're gonna assume that you are. <laughs> If you run into those who are not accepting of the way that you express yourself, of the way that you are oriented, of the way that you're comfortable being you and practicing magic, just know that the way that you practice is perfect for you. Mm -hmm. And it's malleable. It's malleable to create and invoke energies that are for everyone. And deity is also extremely malleable. <laughs> and if none of the existing deities in mythology resonate with you, you can make your own, as Shannon pointed out, or don't discount the effectiveness of adopting pop pantheon figures. Mm -hmm. Crowley and Aziraphale from Good Omens are a beautiful example of this. Yeah. Crowley is a non-binary queer icon. Thank you for joining us once again at the Metaphysical Apothecary Podcast. It's our hope that this has inspired you to queer your craft, whether you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community or you are a straight witch looking to tap into the energies already extant in your being. We hope that this has helped you view your craft in a new and different way. If you'd like to talk to us about what this podcast has inspired you to do, please reach out to us through the comments on Spotify, on our Instagram, Facebook, or Pinterest. And if you'd like to interact with things that we've made, please visit our Society6 store or our Patreon. Links to those things are in the description. So thank you once again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your Pride Month, and be well. Bye, everyone.